The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five UFC fights to air on Big Fox with special guest co-host Zane Simon. We went deep as per usual, folks, so strap in. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom. Analyst's work you can find at MMAJunkie.com and five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio, but... On this year's program, the Protect Your Neck podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, but in a slightly different way. Of course, your favorite and mine, we're bringing back another top five episode. And to start the year, uh, I'm going to start it like uh, I did last year by bringing on not just a co-host, uh, or a special guest co-host, I should say, uh, one of my favorite uh, MMA hosts around. He hosts many a podcast from the Viva section to other. He is the associate editor of Bloody Elbow. It is Zane Simon at the Zane Simon. What is up, Zane? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for coming on, man. I was kind of like, again, I, we were talking like to peel back the curtain, and I was like, man, I, I got to get Zane back on definitely. Uh, it was great having you on last time. Again, you're, you're, you're kind of a, another tailor-made guest for this type of show, so it would only seem fitting. But I was like, oh, I can't believe it. it's been a, a whole year. Did Is that just an excuse on my end, or did this last year kind of just zoom by for you too, man? Well, I, you know, first of all, practically it probably did zoom by for me, but because I don't want to let you off the hook, I am going to say that it's it's just on your end, and really mm-hmm. I've been counting the hours. And, Fair. You know, I, I'm glad you got me back, but it could have happened months ago. It definitely could have, man. It definitely could have. I always get lost in that last like UFC stretch, and uh-huh. I was cause I was noticing like I'm like I'll I'll, I'll no- as I look at the top five episodes and they'll just go vacant for like mainly two parts of the year. Uh, obviously that 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 spring, uh, it leading us into summer, which is looking freaking massive this year. Uh, pardon the you know. Yeah. But uh, or t- toward that end of the year stretch. But you know what? No excuses aside, man. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm glad to have you back on, and it won't be uh, as long next time. And, uh, and, and, and we'll definitely, um, we'll definitely tackle a, a topic to your choice, but I got to, again, to, to peel back the curtain even further. There was an originally scheduled, uh, guest and, and, and topic and the guest couldn't make it and, and we'll, we'll get him back on at another time. But, uh, I did got to, I, I, I did have to come clean to, uh, both Zane and the audience that uh, there, there was a topic that I kind of felt made sense. Uh, especially with the timing. Uh, again, we try to timestamp these episodes too much, but we are about a week out from the UFC's debut on ESPN or ESPN Plus. But it'll be on. E- let's just say ESPN. Okay, let's just keep it simple. And uh, and I figured with that, you know, right around the corner, why not take a, a look back since we're all in that mode and we already covered our award show here, the Neckies. Thank you, and, and hopefully, I'll get to those loss. Uh, submissions toward the end of the show, but uh, since we already did our award show, why don't we just do a kind of a look back over the Fox era in general? Um, and you know, I think Zane could agree with that. The FS1 was a little bit too broad, and I think we 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 agreed that Big Fox, whether it was the the very beginning or even the late era prelims, if y'all want to get hipster on us, 
I felt like that was appropriate. Right, Zane? Did you feel that was kind of the sweet spot here? Uh, well, yeah, it makes sense. If you're looking for current stories, you know, we could we could have done like a top five of John Jones' greatest fuck ups or something like that. <laughs> um, but or you know, I I thought maybe we could do like a, a top five end of the year shows kind of thing for end of the end of the year MMA uh, events or end of the year fights that have capped off the year, but. Uh, you know, yeah, looking back on the Fox era, this is also, you know, we've hit that transition point. Fox is done, it's all in the can, and we're moving over to ESPN for a whole new era of slowly declining ratings. Yeah, that that was that was fun. It was also uh, you know, by the way, just I wanna I wanna page mark uh, for myself and for the listeners. I, I did like that topic you suggested, by the way, that year in events, because when I look at most of my like JMMA selections for these type of lists, a lot of them end up coming off those, you know, year end New Year's Eve shows. So I, that's a whole deep treasure, Trevor, uh, treasure trove to, to dive into. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fun. That way you get like, and you get some big one-off events from Japan too. You got some of the like, you know, I think the K1, like, hero stuff, they did some mm-hmm. year-end stuff, and you got, like, uh, I think Yaranoka might have done some end-of-the-year stuff, and Dream, of course, and so you have, like, a whole tradition there, and then the UFC, honestly, they usually put on a pretty good pay-per-view on, you know, the 29th, 30th of December every year. Oh, especially in the golden era, I mean, uh, just, just a roided-out Overeem and, and Lesnar with uh, mm-hmm. Snoop and commissioners uh, all around with, with testing cups. And I, I, th- I think uh, that was also, if I'm remembering properly, that was where at least one of Robbie Lawler's great title fights was was a UFC end of the year show. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. It's not jumping off of my, it's not jumping off my head uh, right now. But um, as, as far as, you know, I, I believe the Fox kind of touches this golden era that we're, we're we're talking about right now, right? And kind of parlays us in because, you know, the, the first Fox show was, was, was I should have, wow, I have it right in front of me. And I, maybe because I didn't, spoiler alert, I, I, I didn't pull from this one. Yeah, 2011. Yep, 2011, November, late late 2011. And going into 2012, and uh, I guess kind of getting into the topic, did you, in your research, uh, kind of a broad question, but... Uh, did you notice anything but more in particular, Zane, as far as any kind of trends, whether it be booking trends, uh, you, know, you know, I didn't really get too deep into viewership or anything like that, but was there any, any anything you noticed as far as like unpacking the topic that jumped out at you? Well, I mean, certainly if you're looking at the Fox era on the UFC, I, I think a couple of things, unfortunately, is that really there's not any one all-time great fight that really hit the money in on Fox mm-hmm. across all the Fox cards. You go back and you look at them all and I can't find one fight where I'm like, Oh, that is clearly the number one fight, you know? Right. They never posted a, uh, about like Swanson versus uh, Duho Choi or something like that. Like it just, the closest you get is probably Miller Lozon. The other thing is that it's really notable how much these Fox cards really did end up being the quite good 
like the elite fighters that were in no way a pay-per-view draw, but still interesting to audiences. Right. So you get all your DJ fights, you get all your Ben Henderson fights, you get some RDA in there. Just dudes that it's just clear every time the UFC's like, oh, yeah, you yeah. know this guy probably do all right ratings, but I have we have no interest in putting them back on pay per view. That's a super interesting point, and you know I think I think that one and a lot of them will probably come up as we unpack the list, but uh, I really just wanted to kind of set the table with with you know intricacies like that because I mean for me that that's kind of what I was finding. And yeah, if you want to dive deeper into that, you, you look at the you know certain guys' earnings uh, more popular than not, which I'm sure we'll talk about at that time, and you can kind of see another kind of fold as to why maybe they were placed there. And it did it did do do certain guys well. You, you'll be able to see progressions, I'm sure, as we we go through our list. But uh, but just just one more thing, kind of to your point on not having those staple fights. This isn't really spoiling anything, but it, it was kind of. It was kind of even more so uh, poetically put when you really look at their start, right? Because their start, not only do you have, you know, uh, a kind of a lackluster start and they're, they're not sure, let's do a one, let's do a three. Then they finally start going to their, you know, four fight main cards, which would become staple. But you notice in those early cards, you had like almost fight of the year candidates going on, like all in the undercards on each one, almost like sticking it to them. Like, oh, pick the wrong fights. And we'll get into that and kind of how the UFC, I, I think... Uh, corrected that and tried to correct that but but yeah yeah it's just i mean it's interesting it's it's definitely one of those things where you you can i think you can see two over the time like and it didn't take that long but you can really see this like this pretty kind of quick pivot from like fox is gonna be where we put like we're gonna have like a major star every time on fox to this really isn't worth it, and we should just try to put on, like, reasonable mid-level cards that have some some good name value, like, even a title fight on them, but just nothing nothing for pay-per-view, you know? Yep. No, I agree. Well, no, no, no further ado, I think we should, we should roll into this topic. Uh, of course, as listeners know, we go top five, five to one, going back and forth. Uh, crossover, which... I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if we had some crossover on this list. Um, it's okay. We'll just uh, adjust and fly as we go, and we will finish with both the listeners and then our honorable mentions at the end. Um, All right. Zane, with that, usually I let the guest uh, hand in the steering wheel first to kind of start us off. Uh, you're number five, sir. What what did you end up coming to for this spot? I always feel like number five is an interesting spot. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with a very low-profile, somewhat forgotten fight, and the only person who's going to appear on my, my list twice, which is, which is weird because he's a fan-favorite fighter. He's not necessarily a fighter that I've been a big, as big a fan of, as is the popular kind of MMA hardcore fan zeitgeist. I like a lot of guys. I like him, too, but it's just not like... I don't, you know, I'm not like, oh my god, I can't wait till he fights again, and here it comes, right, you know. Right, right, And that's Joe Lozon. Okay. Everybody's a big Joe Lozon fan. I'm not not a Joe Lozon fan. I'm just, you know, he's just kind of a, he's a fun fighter, but it, he never really captured my imagination. But he does end up on my list twice, so all credit to all Joe Lozon fans. And the one I'm starting out with, way under the radar, 
Joe Lozon versus Jamie Varner. Nice crossover, but please go ahead, sir. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's just... I think the big thing with the, any Joe Lozon fight, and it really typifies him on uh, for a list like this, four great fights, is that he's, A, an amazingly fast starter, always comes out of the, the gate guns blazing, Yep. did in this fight as well, and then he tends to get a little tired. Yes, yes. And he still fights very hard. He can still mix things up a lot. Varner, of course, a classic, just old, you know, old school wild brawler yep. of the WEC days. And it means, you know, if Joe Lozon doesn't get that quick finish, he's absolutely heading for a really tough as hell fight for himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even early Joe Lozon was was like that. Uh, that that criticism wasn't just to a later Joe Lozon. No, you're absolutely right. That, which is what made this fight so interesting, right? Yeah. Because Jamie Varner actually, and I can't remember who the original opponent was, but Varner took this fight on short notice. So you had this weird caveat of a guy that could be potentially either gassing at the same time, or if not, before Joe Lozon. And mm-hmm. you know, I know Rogan kind of kind of he can be accused of overplaying that they're, they're gassing, they're slowing down. Uh, but, and he was kind of doing that here, but there was, there was some truth to that, uh, I believe, uh, right, right, Zane? Yeah, no, it was, it was supposed to be Terry Adam. Okay. And Adam was subbed out. I'm trying to see if this was, no, Adam fought at least one more time in the UFC. It wasn't the last hurrah for Adam's career. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's part of what made this fight, I think, so much, so much fun and, you know, let, let Lozon fight his way into getting a finish late in it, likely, is that by the second round, Jamie Varner had his mouth open, and he's just swinging these huge hooks, and, you know, he's still, they're both going after each other, but it was definitely, like, Joe Lozon had a guy in front of him who not only had as much aggression, but had, at this t- at, at this point, for this fight, lim- you know, the same limitations on cardio. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, and I like your, uh, yeah, I like how you depict Jamie Varner, because, yeah, he was, uh, you know, I I came across him, obviously, in the WEC, and, you know, he was kind of a controversial figure, you know, uh, to say the least. I mean, he was an asshole. There we go, there we go, yeah, I mean, and and even we'd see him, like, on, like, the amateur circuits out here, and I remember watching my buddy Jimmy Jones fight, and he fought one of uh, Jamie Varner's guys, and he beat him, and Varner was all mouthing off to Jimmy trying to start, start something. I'm like, geez, this guy really is not helping his TV persona there. <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah, it you was know, a fun it's fight. It's like Josh Koscheck when he was on The Ultimate Fighter, and he's like, I'm actually a really likable person. And you're like, yeah, I'd love to see that someday. You know what? The Josh Koscheck uh, comparison, very apropos, because, you know, it, stylistically, you know, back to how you characterized him, yeah, he was like the... I don't want to say a classic wrestle boxer, but that wrestle boxer who like actually got a pretty polished one two, but let that kind yeah. of get the, get to their head, and they just took it. He to the He was bank. a wrestle boxer in the like core era of that, you know, mid two thousands wrestle boxer ideal, right. where you got guys that, uh, you know, and uh, not to typify necessarily like, uh, oh, who's Davis, the Irish hand grenade, Marcus Davis. Marcus Davis, but you just got a, a lot of guys in that mold who could box just well enough. They had like surprisingly fast hands. They maybe had some good form on their punches, but they would also have zero head movement yep. or uh, <laughs> defensive 
skills built in either. And they had real, you know, they're bricked up, these just kind of little brick shit houses, and <laughs> they could all wrestle. And so it just created this very much the the core era of white dudes wrestle boxing <laughs> each other. And Jamie Varner, man, he was great at it. He was also amongst that co-era of bro dudes from Arizona with the nautical star tattoos. And oh yeah, he man. Was, you know he, he was a you know he, I know he went with the Aviators as champ, but you know he was one Arnett pair of sunglasses away of being uh, CB Dalloway and uh, Ryan Bader's Eskimo brother. You know. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I you know I I have the feeling there's probably a story in there that I'm not gonna. I, I don't need to know it. Yeah, I don't need to know the the Arizona fight lore from that perspective either. But on that note, this was actually this was outcome clean. This was actually my number two, but oh. I'm gonna go ahead and swap it with my number five because they both have. Uh, they're both my number five is a spirit that uh, I could justify it as number two. It definitely gave me one of those live feel good feelings. And speaking of live feel good feelings, I don't know if you picked this up. Um, and I'm sure you you can comment on this because you picked it up in general, but I don't know if you picked it up for for this 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 uh, Joe Lozon Jamie Varner fight. But it has in common with my number five is that it's one of those fights where Joe Rogan he's gotten better at this, even though he's gotten wilder other parts of his commentary. He's he's gotten better at actively rooting for guys and giving them directions on how to escape positions during fights. <laughs> and and uh, he didn't do it so much in this one, but there was some active clear cheering for Joe Lozon. Like Joe Lozon, like. Just, he was the guy at home on the couch cheering for Joe Lozon for massive chunks of this fight. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I, and I have no problem with, with announcers doing that kind of thing, honestly. Like, that bias. I mean, it's like you see, you know, you get Daniel Cormier out there watching some other AKA fighters out, like watching Khabib Nurmagomedov fight or something. And he's like, you know, the whole time his commentary is just like, well, you know, Khabib's really worked really hard on this, and I know he does this really well, and I know he's got this skill, so he can take care of this challenge, and the real thing that his opponent's going to have to do is fight this thing he's really good at, and you're just like, yeah, okay. I, You know, it, it doesn't right. bug me, because it's no, like, no, you know, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd rather hear, like, that kind of insight or that kind of love for one fighter oh, than for sure. just the, like, the constant string of, well, they could both win at any time, and every fight's tough. Which is just, you know, the the backbone of American sports commentary is at all times anyone could do anything. And I'd I'd much rather hear the cheering section. Yeah, and it it didn't come off bad in that fight. It fit the character of that fight and the emotions. Like, it was all on point, which was made a a good fight. But... But yeah, and, and he did give credit, you know, uh, to 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 Varner when it was w- w- was due. But yeah, you couldn't deny that Lozon, especially like that, was like he was at his peak, like fan favorite. Yeah, f- fan favorite him, and then you know they got the bonuses, I believe, that night. And I don't know if, if it was fight of the year or anything like that, but I'm sure it was a candidate uh, or at least in the discussion. I could see that. But yeah, man, great number five, and uh, my adjusted number five. So, uh, um. You know what? We'll, we're just gonna go back since I, I I got to weigh in on that one too. Let's give this a shot. Let's just go back to you uh, for number four, and we're gonna take a break as we usually do mid episode. Then we'll switch up, and uh, I'll go first, and you can close it out with your number one. But uh, just just to keep in suit, why don't you lead us off with your number four? Since I adjusted my number five, uh, my number five there. All right, so I'm partially ranking these by the profile. I feel like they fell under, so that's gonna make make it a little you know. That's that's really what what knocks a fight like Varner Lozon down is that it's just kind of like a Fox prelim bout 
Fair not enough. a fight yeah. I think a lot of people remember all that fondly. And my follow-up then is another fight that I think is it's a bit more memorable, but it's still not a high-profile fight. It's not a fight that would, like, made anybody's career, so to speak. Right. And that's with a real favorite of mine that had to make the list. Matt Brown versus Jordan Meehan. Nice. I'm glad you had this one. Yeah. It had to be. I mean... It, it, real quick, this would be on my list, but I, I talk about this fight, I think, too much. And I know it's come up on a list, in, in, uh, on a list before, I believe. So I, I left it off for that reason. Otherwise, right, it would be there. So, so, so go ahead and, and continue with your intro there. Sorry. That's, that's fair. Maybe, maybe you can just not talk about it for the, you know, even after I'm done. And there then we you go. <laughs> Listeners actually would really appreciate that. Saying they're, they're, <laughs> they're cheersing to you for that right now. I can see them. But uh, no, it's just you know this is another case where you have you have fighters who are absolutely baked into these very specific molds, these personality archetypes for how they fight. And Jordan Mean, his you know the commentary over Jordan Mean's career has largely been he looks like a guy who doesn't really like fighting all that much. Especially late career, <laughs> yeah, Jordan yeah, Meehan. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fair. He's a very, very obviously very talented. Yes. Very well-rounded, technical, powerful fighter, good kickboxer, solid wrestler and grappler when he needs to be. But he's had a lot of fights where he'll like the fight will get hard, and then he'll just kind of be like, "I'm done with this. I don't really want to be here anymore." You get that feeling maybe like the guy who spent his whole career training with his dad, like maybe it was his dad's dream for him to be an MMA fighter. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got that feeling for sure. Uh, uh, and, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And so he's fighting Matt Brown, who, on the other hand, is like a really, really technical fighter in one area, his clinch game. Right. And everything else is just kind of all powered through pure will. <laughs> yes. Through pure character and like I am going to be the toughest, best, hardest hitting, angriest fighter in the cage no matter whether I've got the technique for it or the physicality for it or what. And it it made for a fascinating fa- fascinating fight because you have you know Brown coming out chasing me and down, and right from the get go, it's a much clearly more technical at range. Me and picking Brown off, hurting him, clipping him, but just not being able to stop him at any point. And even though the fight only I think gets into the early part of the second round, it just has such a fast action and inevitability to it that combine to make it a a perfect action fight in a way, even that like other fights that, you know, even a fight like, and I, I feel bad for leaving this off my list because it easily could have been on there, but fights like Holloway Swanson or Dillashaw versus Barrow or even Poirier Gagey, which is a really, you know, it's a great high pressure fight. But the, those fights had an inevitability of a momentum, to, a, mo, a technical momentum to them that played out over multiple rounds slowly. Where it's just like, yeah, okay, I mean, one guy is just winning and he's winning very technically and it looks very good, but it's one guy winning. Mm-hmm. And 
Brown mean is much more of like Brown is winning, but he looks like he could lose at any moment. Yeah, and then no, when he, he gets to that just brutal clubbing end with Mean on the ground and Brown like elbowing him in the side and in the back and all that, and he's just like, "Oh my god, that looks horrific." It just uh, it feels it, it, it created just the right tension all the way through. Yeah, one of the bigger travesties of Jordan Mean is that speaking of hurting Matt Brown, he one of the most beautiful. I'm a big fan, you know, as fan of the left hook to the liver. That one of my favorite shots ever. That's just. Uh, he had, he had he has one of the nicer ones in MMA for sure. Uh, he's on that top five list. So that <laughs> I was just picturing that shot as you mentioned it. But yeah, very worthy, very worthy spot. And I, I could see why it's up there uh, with a Lozon Varner as far as uh, you know approaching it from from importance. Um, I may argue some other aspects later down on the list, but no, you, you're spot on with this one, man. And I, I will spare. I will spare the audience uh, my thoughts in your number four and kind of parlay into mine. Uh, and this is one that, for some reason, I, I, I see this one being a polarizer. This is either one that's either I'm like this is one that's either going to be on Zane's list or one he's going to like completely detest. And for uh-huh. me, for me, this probably should have been more my number five. Um, it, it comes off of the uh, it comes off of the same card that, that, of, of my of what ended up being my adjusted number five, your number five. But this is kind of a more of a a hipster pick in the sense it's a very forgotten fight for, for both gentlemen, but mainly for one Shogun Hua, who headlined UFC uh, on Fox 4 versus Brandon Vera. Is this one on the list? or on No, Richard? no, this didn't make my list. It's I, t- I tend to just kind of block latter-era Shogun out of my memory. <laughs> yeah. And I realize this isn't even that late-era Shogun, but still... <laughs> No, no, yeah, this was a, a quiet one because it came it came right after the uh, the war with Dan Henderson, right? Dan Henderson comes back, mm-hmm. and you know you can argue you know the kind of beating that John Jones gave him two fights prior to that was career changing. I'll take that, but I think most of us kind of settle on that UFC one thirty nine that first fight with Dan Henderson is kind of the uh, the last hurrah of Shogun, and he's been kind of just surviving off that old man strength KO power and veteran savvy since. Um, but uh, you, I would argue that the, the the second nail on the coffin was this fight. Now he didn't get dropped repeatedly, though he did get stunned and and and, and shocked quite a few times uh, from some Vera elbows and encounter left hands. But uh, it was a war, uh, and and it was it was a war, and 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 you could tell Shogun came in actively. Uh, you know, I talk about his underrated takedown game that he he would kind of just quietly gone to, but not enough. He, he credit to him. Uh, maybe his camp was like, okay, you just had a war. Let's go in and take this guy down. And he was actually try, uh, hitting takedowns throughout uh, from early on in the fight. But uh, Vera was able to get up and uh, you know use some of his wrestling that you could argue could have been better, considering that he came from Greco. Yet you know later opponents would just smash him in the clinch. That's where he was getting smashed. And that, there's that, a lot of arguments about Vera's yeah. game that are it really could have been better. It should have been better. Yeah. <laughs> And that's not a diss. I mean, it's just it's it's it's, it's a backhanded compliment, sure. But right, is yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it, it, it might be a bit it might be a bit disrespectful. But Vera is really he's one of those fighters that you watch him in in moments. He kind of reminds me of Jessica I a lot, mm-hmm. where you watch Brandon Vera fight in any particular moment, and you'll be like, oh wow, that was really technical. Yes, and then you'll watch him for like a whole minute or two, and you'll be like, what is he doing? 
just throwing away every like little progress or little thing that he does and yeah we'll like it's his, just yeah there's so many parts that look great in isolation and then the whole thing is just kind of a mess but i would argue from brandon vera's standpoint we kind of looked at how this was a, a you know a last stand or a last war that kind of uh really brought this later shogun clear to even even you know his his most staunch defender's eyes uh was that for Brandon Vera was similar, that he, of course, already made his name known for inconsistency by that time. That was no surprise. He already had bad performances. But you look at the way, you know, you can't say the way he was talking because he would always kind of talk a certain game. But the shape that he came in for this fight and the outs that he had where he was dropped and almost stopped like early on in the first round and, and then parts throughout and continued to fight on. Like he had, way, he had ways out in this fight and he didn't take them. Uh, so whatever criticisms you could lobby... Uh, even though Brandon Vera lost, I believe that he, he proved a lot of detractors kind of wrong. Um, and even even the commentary kind of led on to that. So it was, it was a very kind of underrated fight I wanted to give some shine to. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's just a little too uh, tired a fight for me to be <laughs> like an all-time great. <laughs> light heavyweight. <laughs> yeah, it's light heavyweight. And it's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's no knees, Shogun. Um, yeah. yeah. Who Jesus, even right. you know even in his best wars, yes. even in his most classic wars late later in his career, it's always been sort of like the gas tank goes out, and then it's just pure pig-headed toughness and the, a shocking amount of power and it bursts, yeah, and bursts of power. So, uh, yeah, like it it is a cool fight. It's definitely you know and and. No, no lack of respect to Brandon Vera's toughness. He definitely was never not a tough dude. Um, it's yeah, it's just a brutal, tough, big, light heavyweight fight. It kind of fits to me, and I it may, this may make your list, but it fits very much into like JDS Miocic. Uh, it didn't that, make my list, so you're not burning that one. No, no, go ahead. It, it didn't make your list. Okay, good. But it fits into that same mode. Where it's like, man, these are two big dudes going at it, and it's not, you know, it's a it's a good tough fight for two big fighters. It's just not like, you know, it's not on that like hunt uh, Bigfoot plateau where you're just like, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah, yeah, no, I I totally get what you're saying, and and uh, to cap that off, and not and and to burn one more, which I don't think it's gonna burn one for you, so I'll, I'll bring it up. I try not to bring them up in case uh you know to burn you know to to step on uh yep, yep. your list or whatnot. But to that point, I will say one in my defense for my list, you'll kind of notice the theme, and I, and I'll get to it. A lot of them were fights that what they did did kind of for me, uh, and which is totally fine. That can be approached. It's it's all it's usually better if there's a story attached. Too. Sometimes, you know, I was here at this and, you know, yeah. we were all, I was the only person that bet this guy. All my friends were laughing at me and then I had the last laugh. You know, there's always those, and that, that, that's perfectly acceptable on lists like these two. The, the personal bias, I guess you'd rule that under. Uh, but to your point, I will say that a fight that I thought was going to be dead on my list, Zane, uh, uh, list Zane, and not just on my list, like maybe top three, ended up not being on there at all because I just went back and I was like, oh, wow, this kind of the exact description you gave. But for me, it was just a really fun – it's one of the – just as far as like personal moments, uh -huh. even just by myself, just watching a fight, cracking a beer up and having a great time and like being being genuinely surprised was uh, the first Fabricio Verdun-Travis Brown fight. 
Um, yeah, it wasn't well. good enough to make the list, but I will feel I think is a kind of an underrated one. Is that not many people think of that fight? They're like, oh yeah, that's right, they had a first fight. Oh, that happened. And but if you just remember it, you know, with with Verdum being the big underdog and just at his peak, you know, doing kip ups and his antics mm-hmm. were actually paying off for once. Uh, it was just a fun fight, but but kind of at the same time, it was it was very slow on the rewatch and slog. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, Verdum Brown is is one of the fights. Like it, it was weird because the first Verdum Brown fight was like. Fabricio Verdum just showing that he could be a more technical fighter than Travis Brown. Mm-hmm. Just kind of being patient, sticking to a game, just winning like a solid fight. Mm-hmm. And then the second fight was just Verdum being like, okay, I'm just going to be a weird clown now and then still beating <laughs> Travis Brown. Yeah, that was such a – talking about like weirdest fights, uh, uh, weirdest fights ever. I don't know if that would make yeah. – Make a make for an MMA depressed us. I don't know if that would qualify, but that's it, definitely it did. It, it already did. did. Okay, all right. Ago. There we go. <laughs> yeah, no, because that was just like Fabrizio Verdum showing up, being like, "I'm not going to take you seriously. I already beat you. I don't have to try," and still winning. <laughs> and the highlight being a fight with the cornerman of the whole the highlight action of the whole fight. Yeah, where because Tra- that was when Travis Brown went to Glendale, which I mean. Kind of, kind of tells you all you needed to ever know if you didn't already know mm-hmm. about uh, Edmund Tarverdian fight training that Fabricio Verdum just being like, I'm going to fuck around and throw some flying kicks and I don't know, whatever shit. It still had Travis Brown being like, ah. Yeah, and, and in retrospect, that's probably why it makes that, that, that UFC on Fox 11 pick uh, even more of a sleeper because, mm-hmm. again, the reason why Brown was a favorite because he only lost to a Bigfoot Silva in a fight where his knee gave out on him. So he was kind yep. of undefeated in everybody's eyes. The only question mark at that time was Cain Velasquez. Other than that, they're like, Travis Brown's the next thing, which sounds crazy now. But back yep. then, that's kind of you got to put yourself there, which I think kind of adds to that fight. But anyways, oh yeah, I, I digress. Um, let's let's go ahead and knock out our number threes before we jump to jump to break. So, uh, which means uh, you're up to bat once again, sir. What did you end up for your number three? All right, uh, number three, I I got to go. This is where like, I, I teased it earlier, but Joe Lozon on the list twice, and right. his fight with Jim Miller is. That hits my three spot just because probably of all the fights on Fox, I think for me, it's probably honestly, technically the best fight on Fox. It could be number one. It's just also not an important fight. Which, uh, you know, which, which, which meeting was this? This is the, the super, super bloody one that Miller won. Oh, okay, the first meeting. Was that at USC 155, or that was on Fox, too, as well? No, there, there's a Jim Miller, Joe Lozon on Fox. I thought their second one was on Fox. I'm looking it up uh, now as well as I, I'm, I'm sketchy. Oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong one. Am I? I saw someone bring it up on their listener list, but I, uh, uh, they didn't specify which one. Yeah, they're, we'll split, go to. they're split on Maya Condit. Yep, they split on Maya Condit, and I'm looking for their second. That, that's I think that's the one I watched. Now you're making me question it says my whole UFC uh, 155 co-main event at, at, one, at UFC 155. Yeah. Oh, is that the super bloody one? Yeah, that, the one. Where, yeah, the, the epic picture where Jim Miller is holding his. Uh, well, I don't know if he's holding his arms up. He's exhausted on Joe Lozon at the end. That epic picture. There. Yeah, but I don't think that's what I was talking about. Let me see. They had. Now you're questioning they had a, my whole reality. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Now that that was the fight of the year candidate, I remember because it was in my top. Uh, I had to write up on that one. It was in, it made my top ten uh, 
top 10 fights that shaped the UFC lightweight division, and I put that one uh, that one in there to kind of represent the guys that were carrying the uh, carrying the the main cards quietly in the golden era, the workmen that were just yeah, sure I made the wrong one, did I? Because Miller Lozon too, I remember Miller Lozon on Fox, and I remember it being a very good fight. The second one wasn't a bad fight at all. It just wasn't any, like anything like their first fight. Obviously, it's so hard to uh, even even if you know. T- I don't think it would have been impossible to to achieve their first one just because it was one of those fights. But yeah. okay, yeah, you're right. I watched the wrong one. Let's I'm, let's delete all this. All right, I'll, audible uh, Mulligan, Mulligan, Mulligan. I'll pivot to a different third fight. Men, men in black, men in black, uh, men in black, flashing uh, sound a clip now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all right, so uh, what was your number three for your top five fights on Fox or? Uh, you know, or you know what? While, while while you're while you're organizing that, let me go to my number three. I, I will prematurely take this during well, uh, even though I'm gonna do. We get back from break as well because you did mention my number three, sir, and, and uh, I will I will argue why. Uh, well, maybe not argue. It's it's, it's just more my personal opinion uh, and my personal experience from it. But but beyond that, I feel like it was an important fight. And what made my number three was Max Holloway versus Cub Swanson, UFC on Fox 15, April 18th. 2015 now wow yeah yeah and uh it's crazy because you know this was another you know i was talking about you know how important of a fight it was for you know like the verdum brown it got verdum the title shot it was peak verdum where it was brown kind of falling from his peak um this was you know not swanson falling from his peak but if you remember swanson was on this crazy run he was gaining fan respect uh people were calling for him to challenge for the title, unfortunately, he ran into Frankie Edgar. But even after that loss, people were like, you know what? That was just like the one guy that has the worst stylistic matchup for him in that division. Maybe outside of Chad Mendes, who he already lost to. Anybody else, Cubs wants some smashes. And although he only closed, I think, as like a minus 150 favorite, it may have opened higher. And it definitely felt like more of a favorite to where even people like me who were aware of Max Holloway, who uh, was a fan of Max Holloway, uh, you know, uh, uh, supporters, uh, whatever, I know that's a dumb word, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I wasn't yeah. un- un- unaware of who he was. Even I was kind of, like, feeling bad for him. Like, oh, look at them. And remember when they're doing their, their pose-offs? And I think uh, Machida and Rockhold, I want to say, is on that on that same card. But, uh, but, like, Max Holloway. And you're seeing glimpses of who Max Holloway is, not just in the fight, which I'll get to in one second, but even style. Like, all that silver swag and dress-up stuff. This is the first time Max Holloway wears a suit, and it looks goofy because he's wearing these bright silver Nikes. And you're like, oh, it's a Hawaiian kid who doesn't know any better trying to do his version of dress-up. Very cute. Uh, hope, <laughs> wish him luck against Cub Swanson. And you can weigh in in a second here, Zane, to see if you call hogwash on me or not. Maybe you felt different, which is totally cool. But that was the perception that I felt, which kind of set up this performance, which, you know, Max Holloway was a good striker before this. He had a guillotine win before this, I believe. And he would even do stuff like shifting stance mid-combination before this. But he would never come out southpaw and fight there for meaningful periods of time. And this was the first fight where he really does it. This is the first fight where his lateral movement and tempo changes are really taking that turn. And uh, this is the fight that when I'm breaking down Max Holloway, I always point to you in that real kind of uh, progression turn of his. Uh, and and you can you can hear the commentary, and I I still remember myself even responding to it. Who 
I might have sprinkled on Holloway, but like my pick was Swanson. Like I was like, oh man, I feel bad for I feel I feel bad. Can't they give Max a better a, fight, a more winnable fight than Cub? And of course, we know how it goes. Like you said, it was a technical progression that that was one way traffic. And credit to Cub, who like you know he breaks his hand early, breaks his jaw in the next round, fights through and gets gets rocked, fights through that, fights through one submission attempt, the head and arm choke, like. Cub Swanson could have took outs way earlier, and he fought to the to the end until he just couldn't take that pain from that that guillotine choke on the already broken jaw. But but yeah, I would argue that, that that's why it made my list. And feel free to, to 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 tear it down. I know you already touched on it, but but that's why it made it for me. Yeah, uh, no, I did pick Holloway going into that. Ah, okay, all right. I, I'm I'm looking at my notes or looking at notes from our bloody elbow staff picks at the time. And most of our staff did pick Swanson, and I even wrote that I was uh, not especially confident in my Holloway pick. So I can't really just be like, oh, man, I, I got to take this. But uh, I, I think what I said here was that uh, Swanson can be bullied out of his striking by confident strikers willing to trade with him and able to eat shots. Mm. So. Oh. That's fair, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. And that, uh, I mean, honestly, the, like, I can understand why this was a big, uh, why this would make anybody's top of the list, just because it was such a turning point for Holloway. And it, it's a fight that people remember fondly for, uh, you know, it's a fight for people even like me, like, remember fondly because, I mean, Holloway did just – he went out and schooled Cub Swanson. It was as about as one-sided a fight at that level as you, you'll see outside of, like, an instant KO, you know? Yeah, no, totally, totally. And so it's, it's, it's hard not to think of it and, like – to, it's hard not to have it be a super memorable fight, especially in Holloway's career and in the making of a fighter who's now become a pretty great champion. Because you look at that, and that is the point where you know, even as Holloway fans, even people who knew who Holloway was, you and I, and people like that, we're still like, uh, can Holloway win this fight? Right, maybe right. not. And him to show up and just absolutely demolish Cub, it. You know, it made him the fighter he is today. Yeah, and if uh, and I'll, I'll admit, you know, if, if that if that wasn't a part of a winning streak that's still alive today, uh, again uh, to kind of timestamp where we are, and if he didn't, you know, go on to become champion within that winning streak, then yeah, maybe it probably doesn't make my list. You know, I'll come clean there. Yeah. But so this was one of those picks that you know we don't you don't always count what happens after, but to deny that this has you know the aftermath strengthens this pick would be silly. So yeah. Uh, but I'll concede that much. But yeah, yeah, it's my number. It ends up being my number three. I didn't have to move that around. All right. I uh, so I teased out that I'd have two Joe Lozon picks earlier. Okay. And I gotta, you know, I I can't totally save face. I we'll just say I was drunk. I was drunk, <laughs> and I watched the wrong Joe Lozon fight, and and the the wrong Lozon Miller fight, and. So that's off my list. Uh, I, I watched the other one too, and it's still a very good fight. But you're right; it's not Lozon Miller one. And uh, I, I, I was, I was high on pills. I don't know, whatever. All these lightweights bleed together. God damn it! Yeah, 
it, it just all goes together, and I was, you know, what, whatever. I was probably stoned at the time or something. Who knows? There we go. But instead, I sub, I'm subbing in an equally wonderful, beautiful action fight that has been totally forgotten because it's the modern era of UFC, and if you're not already a star on the radar, it's really hard for any even a really good fight to make you a star, to make you important. There's much more back in the day. You could have Forrest Griffin versus, uh, damn it. Bonner? Yeah, Stephen Bonner. Our, now I just think of him for the DUI, which, you know. Oh, Jesus Christ. I know. I feel bad about that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he, oh, man. he did it. Not yeah. me. <laughs> Um, didn't see that coming, right? Yeah, yeah. Griffin Bonner, or you can have a fight like Lozon Miller. You could have these action, these action wars that would suddenly pop a fighter into public consciousness. You know, right? It'd just be like, oh man, did you see that fucking fight? These days, you better be doing that in a title fight because any other time, eh, people are just gonna kind of be like. Oh, yeah, that was good, wasn't it? Yeah, right, yeah. It's forgotten the next week when the next card happens. Yep. So I'm going to pull one of those out that has been forgotten in our late Fox era of just a constant stream of events that all blend together. And that's Eliza Zaleski versus Lyman Good. Nice. I was actually looking at that in my honorable mentions as you said it. That's creepy. Go ahead. It's a great fucking fight. Yes, it is. Zaleski has absolutely made a name for himself as a all-action, just blitzing powerhouse of a fighter who, for some reason, cannot catch a matchmaking break. I believe right now he's booked against Brian Barbarena. Like, yeah, just the mo- nobody looks good fighting Brian Barbarena. I've I've also heard that that. Uh... Uh, that matchup uh, might not happen, and then I heard who might actually be, be in that, and it's 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 another it's another case of the same thing. But I I can't say on here, but maybe I'll I'll, I'll tell you off air if you remember. But yeah, but to your All point, right. it's it's very yeah, it's very frustrating how they match make that guy. Like but this he was a had great that fight. war with Lyman Good, then he had that war with Max Griffin, then he just like knocked the shit out of Sean Strickland, and then he. He, you know, they put him in against Luigi Vendramini for they needed a replacement. Who was he? He was supposed to face Bilal Muhammad. Right, right. Which is still not a real step up from Sean Strickland. I, you know, whatever. Nothing against either of them. They're both good fighters, but it's not a ranked opponent. And so he, he you know, he absolutely demolishes Luigi Vendramini, and you get Brian Barbarena, like. Man. And back to the Lozon Miller point, if we were still valuing, if we were still in that golden era where we were still valuing the workmanlike support of these main cards or prelim cards, if you will, uh, it maybe it would be a different story. But kind of like you said, that, that it's it, it, in the modern era, it's just it's so forgotten about. Yeah, it's impossible to have a really cool fight on an undercard anymore and have that be like a star making performance. You gotta have, you gotta be like somebody that the UFC's picked out already. You gotta be like Mike Perry, who they're just like, oh, immediately main card. This dude's main card, you know. And they just immediately glom onto that, and then you have to have a run of super fun fights. But any just one 
you, it'll never it, it doesn't work like that anymore. Yeah, I was gonna get really mad. I I thought my memory of this fight was that it got snubbed for a fight of the night, but apparently it didn't, which is good. Nope. But this yeah. this was one of those fights where I often use uh, Matt Grice versus Dennis Bermudez as this example, where like it feels like you could feel the shots with the fighter uh-huh. uh, in the uh-huh. sense of like you were like uh, you feel like the the, the, the Zaleski's rhythm, but then you just feel that every time a hard shot lands, whether it's on the arms or a clean, you feel that momentum changing factor of, of Lyman good each time. And you just, you're on that pendulum with the fight and there's no better feeling. Yeah, no. And I mean, it really took advantage of the fact that for Lyman good for better or worse, he's a, he's, he's a terrific power puncher who really just doesn't throw enough or with enough uh, diversity mm-hmm. to be a knockout or a great knockout artist. Yeah. Like he's got a lot of knockouts, but especially his, you know, his later career over the past few years up into Bellator and the UFC has been a lot of submissions with a few shocking moments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously he knocked out Ben Saunders and Andrew Craig, uh, in his in a couple fights that he's had recently, but it's always just kind of, you know, nobody thinks of Lyman Good. Or a lot of fans don't who know him only for his late career don't think of him as a huge power puncher. Yeah, but like this fight with Zaleski, the only reason Zaleski wins this fight is just because Good cannot step on the gas as hard and as long as Zaleski can. Yep. No, I, yeah, I, I agree. I'm glad. I'm glad this one got mentioned. It would have got mentioned in honorable mentions, but we're, we're worthy being on the list as a as a hipster pick, if you will. But but we're, we're worthy nonetheless. All right. Well, on that beat, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna get to the rest of our top five fights that aired on Big Fox right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. And we're back right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for the top five UFC fights that aired on Big Fox with special guest co-host Zane Simon. Zane, we left off on our number two. The steering wheel is now in my hands to start us off. But speaking of two, I got to go back to uh, uh, back to something. It was well, it was my original number two, which I adjusted to number five. Uh, I forgot to, I forgot to talk about this note on, on Miller Lozon. Uh, round two, Lozon Varner, you mean? Yeah, Lozon Varner. That's right. Uh, round two at the three fifty six mark. There uh-huh. is a, and this is, comes from someone who just watches a ridiculous amount of tape, and will appreciate this. And I can already hear uh, uh, at Mr. Honky, Lord Honky Humongous, getting his keyboard ready. But yeah, 356 mark round two. There's an audible fart that goes on the broadcast. It sounds like, what what was, I forgot about that. Was that me just hearing things? Did you pick that up, Zane? No, I I think I remember it. Even, even, I I didn't, I didn't rewatch every second of that fight to pick it. Right. But I think I remember that. From the time, and I mean, someone posting about it, right? I remember that being a post, like, "Oh, far enough." Yeah, yeah. And you have to assume it was just Jamie Varner, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I think that's just it doesn't matter if it was him or not, but he just seems like the kind of guy who would. He was gassing out, according to Joe Rogan. <laughs> OK, we're done. It's pretty, we're done. The here. Show's over. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I had to I had to sidetrack us for that very, very important note. Right. So, yeah, really, really sealed it. <laughs> really pressed. Really stuff. sealed it as a selection of all time greats. <laughs> I had to do that for a shout for Mr. Honky, who uh, I'm sure is going to be, be posting that. Anyways, my actual number two was – I had to come clean my number five, but, but I felt good about it nonetheless because, again, this was for me – it has no big meaning at all. Mm. But for me, it was, it, was a, it was a fight that really just hit home for me. And, and clearly Joe Rogan with the way he was commentating. And this was – at UFC on Fox 3, I believe we start seeing a turn – uh, the event's getting good. Obviously, we have the one-off with Dos Santos Velasquez. We know what happens there. The better cards are on the other card, like a like a Benson Henderson Guida, which never sees the light of day, or you know Swanson uh, Lamas. And then you have the experimental three-fight card, which was I don't want to sidetrack even further, Zane, but you're someone that can speak on this. It's a weird kind of form of matchmaking that I, I hated, and I felt like really put the nail in the in the hole. Light, light heavyweight sucks is when they started thinking it's a great idea to match all the wrestlers or wrestle boxers together. And they mm-hmm. think they did like a whole minus the Maya Weidman, obviously matchup, but you had like Davis Evans or Sonnen and uh, I think it was Sun and Bisping, maybe a bad, bad thing, but you would just see all these things like, or the Evans uh, Henderson or Henderson, even Henderson Machida, which was just bad matchmaking, not a wrestler versus wrestler matchmaking. But I'm like, what are you doing? These are like, you know, and it was like all, I think 90% of the fights I listed were like fucking decisions because you just were going to get boring fights. Uh-huh. Anyways, a little side tangent, but uh, it wasn't until UFC on Fox 3, you get, you get, you get, start getting the good shit. And that's yeah. Alan Belcher versus Husamar Paul Harris. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, this, and this is was crazy. I didn't realize this is Alan Belcher's last win. Uh, he was on, he, he, he was on, he finally put together a winning streak because he was more known for his inconsistencies and playing around with Muay Thai and, you know, dabbling up at 205, but he really had his, uh, strength and conditioning narrowed down, was making this run at 185 and Husamal Pajares, who only was actually stopped once at this point, you look at his record now and, you know, he's been like stopped like seven times, but at this point he was only stopped by Nate Marquardt, which was a really weird fight where he went for a leg lock slipped. Tried to tell, or tried to claim, I should say, that that Marquardt was greasing mid-fight for whatever reason, showing what would become a trend of questionable fight IQ, to put kindly, and got mm-hmm. smacked in the face. But up in, but he was still a very, very formidable. As if he's not formidable now, he's still dangerous now, obviously. But he was very formidable then. Uh, I believe might have been, even been the favorite. Um, and of course, I think 45 seconds into the fight. Uh, Belt, uh, you know, uh, Husamar like gets him down with a, a single leg snap down, and you're just like, oh shit! And you know, he, and and Belcher reverses it, rolls to the truck position, which you know Rogan gets just immediately hard for, right? And it was fun. He's like, what is he doing? He's trying to leg lock a leg locker. He's trying to calf crank him, and and all this shit. And it's and he's spinning out, and he's essentially giving a tutorial how to get out of heel hooks, reverse heel hooks, spinning the correct way, uh, triangling your legs. Fighting grips, leveraging forward to sprawl out your legs away. He's like hitting all the checkbooks if you really want to learn how to defend leg locks. And it was, it was so awesome. Just a, a clear, and you know, he would go and later release his uh, tutorial or what he was following and the instruction and his prep for the fight, and it matched everything he did. And that's just so hard to do in MMA. 
in, in those circumstances, and he did it. And what I love, you know, especially you know, uh, in a certain era of John Jones's fights, did this where you just when guys beat guys at their own strength or where you think they shouldn't be fighting them, that yeah. always, that always does something for me. Where I'm just like, it blows me away even more. And uh, and 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 that gets it for me. And this was, of course, a fight where Joe Rogan was just literally almost doing the uh, "get out of there, Travis," but doing his version of it. Like, no, yeah. no, Alan, don't go in there. What are you doing? Alan needs to stand up. Alan needs to stand up. And like, <laughs> freaking out is great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely like, especially as you know. Time goes on, there's also more and more sort of schadenfreude attached to that win, too, where Paul Harris just gained this reputation. Well, he already had a reputation, but continued a reputation for being kind of a a dirty, overly aggressive yes. uh, fighter who couldn't control himself. And then, of course, Belcher getting eye-poked and basically that ending his career. So you really kind of have this moment of a guy who ended up on the hard luck end of things continuously yeah. and a guy who ended up on the fuck up end of things continuously. Yeah. So yeah, it's a good shout. I mean, it was definitely one of the, it's definitely a fight I would think of as an incredibly impressive performance. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. If, I'm, I'm not even, you know, not necessarily sure about great fight particularly, right. although it's a good one for the four minutes it lasts. But it's an incredibly impressive performance from Alan Belcher. Yeah, that's another thing. I usually don't have uh, round one performances. I'm usually for yeah. you know top fights or anything like on these kind of lists. You'll, you'll notice that very few, if, if if any at all, which is another strange reason why I would go with this one. But I think kind of to what you said about Paul Harris being a dirty fighter gave it its own weird Tyson effect in that own sense. Not the same, obviously, but yeah. because you just knew how dangerous he was mixed with what the fuck is this guy going to do for better or worse? Yeah. And I think that just made the temperature of the fight, which is why maybe Rogan's commentary is a bit forgivable, a bit forgivable there, is that the temperature of the fight kind of just, uh, you know, very few of those that felt felt so high for me were just one of those live watches that, for whatever reason, it might not with 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 the majority of people, but just kind of stuck with me over the years. So when I was looking yeah. back over these Fox fights, I was like, okay, I gotta have I gotta have this one in there somewhere. Which I mean, maybe why it was originally number five. What the fuck Alan but... Belcher is doing on the ground grappling with Husamar Palharis is much more forgivable than wondering what like Habib Nurmagomedov was doing out jabbing Ali Quinta. You know? Yeah, yeah, especially yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, good. It's 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 a it's a much more forgivable sin because if I were watching that live at the time, I'd be like, "What the fuck is he doing? Right, this is a terrible idea." Right, right. You are going to lose, sir. And the commentary so, bias is definitely swaying you that way too. Yeah, I got no problem with that read on it. All and right. yeah, it's it's a cool, weird fight. It's you know, it's one of those like diffusing a such a powerful potent offensive fighter and finding just the right way to totally nullify their game and it's always really impressive to see that happen definitely my man well what did you end up settling on for uh for your number two pick we're getting up there now and my number two is a recent one but i rewatched it and man it's still just such a good fucking fight it's a shockingly good fight and filled with catharsis for me and that's 
Jose Aldo versus Jeremy Stevens. Nice, nice. Had a feeling you'd be going with this one. Uh, not on my list, but this may. This is uh, right there for the uh, making, not just honorable mention, but for the truncated version. Uh, if, if this one comes out for it, well, I'll, I, I, I'm probably going to have this one on there for that. But go ahead, sir. Because I mean, well, it's a. It's insanely violent. Yes. B, it has some significant momentum strength swings. It does. So you forget about that because we just think about that ending shot now. Yeah, and but you forget that in round in the in round one, because this is right after Jose Aldo's hard losses, second hard loss to Max Holloway. Yeah. And you know, Stevens came out and he put pressure on Aldo. Got him to the fence and got scared yeah. for a second. Yeah. Put him in a firefight. Clipped him a couple times. And there was this sense of, like, can Aldo just not keep a pace anymore? Can, if he gets drawn into a firefight, is he just going to gas and lose? And it really felt like that was possible. Really distinctly. I mean, you know, it's not like Jeremy Stevens doesn't hit hard. It's not like he's not a potent offensive fighter. And it's not like he's not tough. Right. You know, Stevens is tough as shit. So him coming out and just putting the screws on Aldo, it felt it felt very real that Aldo was going to lose this fight a yeah. couple minutes in, into it. And then Aldo just stormed back, just dug deeper, landed bigger, was able to scare Stevens off from being aggressive with the big counter shots he was landing, and just eased that pace off just enough that when you know when round two came, he had the openings he needed to land the really hard shots that ended the fight. Yeah, and it yeah, it's it's quick, it's violent, it ha- pushes a blistering pace all throughout, and it just it's filled with meaning because you know for guys like me too who are fans of watching Aldo fight, right. and you I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been huge fans of watching Aldo fight, whether whether or not he's a, a great person in the rest of his life. I don't actually know or really care all that much. He seems nice enough. Right. Um, but, you know, a really dominant, technical, violent fighter who was in his prime for years and gave a bunch of great performances. And yet that... Uh, that Conor McGregor loss and then the two Max Holloway losses that followed it really just colored casual fan perception of who Jose Aldo was. You know? Yes, yes. He be- he became known – he was just the guy who was there before and isn't good enough. Which now. is insane when you even, – even still looking at his resume, which is insane yeah. to think that. And, and but that's who he became, you know? And further into it, and I'll admit I was – you know begrudgingly on the other side of this one picking Jeremy Stevens kind of but adding to your point why why it made the threat and the feel so real because it wasn't like you know Jeremy Stevens was getting the odds that he probably would have when Aldo was in his prime title run um yeah. a, a lot of people including myself thought Jeremy Stevens was probably good, you know was was, was probably going to come out on top so it wasn't that crazy of a thought believe it or not for for people Yeah no no I mean absolutely not I you know when I picked it I think I may have picked Aldo in part just because I'm such a big Aldo fan and right. wanted him to win and wanted to see him win this fight, you know? It felt, because like I say, you know, Stevens hits hard enough, he's tough enough, and 
if the fight, you know, if he could make Aldo, if he could just stay on Aldo and keep, uh, make this all about cardio and grit, Aldo, you know, there were real questions put into that for, for Jose. Yeah. So it was, to me, it's one of the most meaningful fights to go down on Fox where I was just really like edge of my seat and that delivered the action to go with it, you know? Yeah, and what was cool about uh, it being on Fox and it being meaningful, especially for, like, uh, if you're a fan of Jose Aldo, is that this is only, like, the third to last uh, big Fox show in their entire run. And it's the first one that Jose Aldo appears on because he's been champion or holding a belt, even if it was an interim belt, for the majority, if not all, of the Fox run, which is insane. Again, it was the first, well, as I said during the broadcast, it was the first non-title UFC fight of Jose Aldo's career. Yeah, yeah, and and, and it, got, it got to happen on the big audience, which was awesome. I mean, these are another kind of a, a parallel, which we're not really talking about too much, but kind of like, you know, when, uh, you know, boxings went through phases, obviously, um, HBO, not the timestamp is more, but, you know, HBO boxing recently had its, had, had its, had its, had its, had its move, uh, I believe, or Showtime, sorry, Um I'm getting them all confused now, but what I'm trying to say is like when boxing would be on, on the, the CBSs or the bigger networks back uh-huh. in the day and I, I wasn't around, so I don't want to, you know, speak like knowingly or anything here, but I got to imagine fans, hardcore fans of the sport were like, sweet, uh, we get to see this fight on, you know, uh, you know, on, on, on cable or whatnot, or, you know, broadcast television. And so does so many others. And, and there, there's something special about that. I would like to think about these fights. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's just, like I say, the thing with, you know, going back through the Fox run, they didn't really have many or any really one like all time epic. This is a war to end all wars fights. So you got to kind of look a little deeper, like Mm -hmm. what had meaning, what was important, what delivered great action alongside that. Outside of just like, oh my god, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and I'm about to parlay that and the boxing note into my number one pick here in a second. But kind of to that, uh, speaking about the featherweights and lightweights and the overall chemistry on Fox is that uh, I didn't touch on this note earlier, but it, we don't really see it until Fox 3, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, but then we start to see more because you, you, if you're doing the, the quiet math, there's production of Fox and UFC for matchmaking. They don't have the full say, right? But you start yeah. seeing more of Joe Silva's staples come in as far as like the Joe Silva. My favorite Joe Silva staple was a lightweight opener for the main card. Mm-hmm. And from UFC on Fox 3 all the way up until about 2016, the first show of 2016, they start doing this different trend. I don't know if you noticed this, Zane, where there were lightweights, and they, they, they knew that that was money, placing them anywhere in the card, either as an opener or a headlining bout. But once they get to 2016, we don't see that many lightweights until like those last three bouts that Jose Aldo was on as a featherweight because they switch up the formula to featherweights and females. Mm. So now they're making room for one female fight on the, on the four-fight card, and they're usually going with, which isn't bad. Obviously, featherweight we we know has earned its earned its medal, uh, for sure as being an exciting division. But it was just I know interesting trend that I picked up. Come 2016, they go away from that now, where featherweights and females uh, jump well, in there. Well, they had more women's divisions. They needed yep. to find primary ways to promote them as into the spotlight, which 
you know, I think a lot of there's a lot of UFC reluctance to there. There was some reluctance to necessarily test that out on pay per view all the time, although they're doing it more and more. Right. But it's just like, well, you know, we need how how are we going to get these new divisions highlighted and these new fighters highlighted if we're going to try to build fights that can be headlining title fights? And Fox had to be it. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny they. Uh... It's funny, yeah. They don't. They, they, if you look at matchmaking, how the matchmaking itself tells its own tells the story of the sport, right, or where it was at. So that, that's always kind of cool. But uh, but back to boxing and back to leading into my number one. Um, I always bring up this. I always bring up this uh, comparison. Uh, lightweight is my favorite division, and probably you know it's it could be a two way tie, but the next two are featherweight and bantamweight. But lightweight has always been my favorite division, and I and especially like right now. And mm-hmm. a lot the fight that I'm going to be talking about, it feels like we're in that like that middleweight uh, era of boxing in the early 1980s, right? Where you just had all these great matchups, all these great combinations of title fights and unifications that could take place. And that's where I feel we, we are when you talk about guys like uh, Dustin Poirier. I don't know if he's going to get the championship or if he gets it, how long he'll have it um, or any of things like that. But I am confident enough to say that even as of now, Dustin Poirier will be a guy that we look back at and will be one of those names, you know, as far as, mm-hmm. like, our Hagglers and Hearns, right? Mm-hmm. And his battle versus Justin Gaethje, I know you, you talked about that as far as being a technical momentum, but this one had to do it for me. It was more of a recent thing, and, and if you know me on these lists, I actually lean away toward recency bias, which is funny because most criticisms, when the lists come out, they go, hey, why don't you have Zombie versus Yair, or, like, a fight that just came out, and you're like, come on, yeah, give me some, relax. Uh, and but uh, but but yeah, this one this one is actually a more recent one for my style, and I will you know I I will agree at first I thought it had more of a, a singular momentum, but the momentum was even more back and forth than the way I remembered on rewatch, and was even reminded of a bit of a quote unquote controversy that happened before the finish with a bit of an eye poke, but uh, but you know not all you know as my my, my co my uh, host of uh, MMA Junkie Radio my co-host George Garcia says even great fights have to have some controversy in it that's not a that's not necessarily a bad thing um mm-hmm. so so yeah Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje makes it on on my list cuz again another reference that I overuse and abuse but it's so appropriate that I, I think I mainly use it for Justin Gaethje fights it's like a high speed chase with two cars and one car loses a tire, the other one loses a door, the other one's axle starts cracking. <laughs> and then you're just like looking at it, like, okay, who's fucking, which one can even finish the race at this point? And that's what the, the fight comes down to. And though selfishly, though they take years, I say selfishly because it takes years off these guys' lives and careers. Yeah. Uh, selfishly, those are my favorites, Zane. So this, like you said, I was kind of coming to that same conclusion. I'm like, you know what? There's not one great fight, but when I'm comparing it, to the boxing moniker or, you know, comparing it to you know, flooding it with my own personal biases, a fight like this came to the top of my list. Yeah, well, and to be honest, I'm glad you have it on your list because it is a great fight. It is a fun fight. At the moment, it was a very tense fight. I mean, I think I picked yeah. Gagey because I didn't trust that if Poirier got hurt, he could rally back. And it looked like he wasn't going to for a second. And it did look like he wasn't going to for a second. So there was some momentum swing in there. Uh, and it it was, a, it was a great fight. It was a good fight. Every Gagey fight is tense because yeah, yeah. he is just so dangerous all the time. 
So I'm glad you picked it because honestly, I probably should have, but I just I want to do I I wanted to give my I, I'm giving my top spot, which I'll uh, you know not to tease out too far, but I'm I, I've got another Dustin Poirier fight in my top spot. So okay, I this fight to me, yeah, the Gagey fight to me it. I think the biggest thing is that it's not my favorite Justin Gagey fight. That's probably why I, I couldn't make it my top spot. Yeah, you I know? can see that. I can see like, that. Like, for Justin Gagey, he's got that fight with Eddie Alvarez, and it's really hard to top that fight. Yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah, for, I, I agree with you, by the way. That, that, that fight for me, yeah, I'm with you on that. I, and so guys. I think that maybe too played into my bias because I I just I think of Justin Gagey fights and I think of great Justin Gagey fights and Dustin Poirier the one against Dustin Poirier is a great fight but it's just not the greatest I always think like oh yeah but the other one was better it's tough so, yeah it, it, it's tough it's it's tough I'd be lying if that you know was what wasn't thinking if that was creeping into my head too then I was like you know what this isn't best, you know, Gaethje or Poirier fights is, you know, best ones on Big Fox. And I think yeah. that's probably what swayed me away. But no, that's 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 completely fair. And for what it's worth, uh, I do agree, man. I I, I, I love I love that I love uh I love that fight. Uh one one thing I just want to say before we move on to this fight, I put a I think I put a note in here on the <laughs> something I always love on I don't know if you caught, but uh the controversy I was alluding to was an eye poke because of course there's a couple warnings and a, and and, and at, le- at least one stop in the action for an eye poke on Justin Gaethje's behalf, where he pokes Boye. Uh-huh. So when it happens again and they have to stop the action again, um, her Dean ends up taking a point. And I don't, you know, I, you know obviously the Arizona, the, the the hometown, and and Gaethje's a fan favorite anyway. So people obviously don't yeah. like the call. But for me, side note, I actually would love to see more. I I, I feel like the eye poke thing is just just as bad, if not worse than. The, it is worse than the cage grab thing because it changes a fight and changes someone's health potentially, and it's just yeah. abused. We're giving out warnings all day. It's just ridiculous. It's just laughable now. I just laugh every time a referee warns for that. I go, <laughs> keep doing it. Not yeah, no, trouble. I mean, well, yeah, it's MMA is still largely a sport of like guidelines rather than rules. <laughs> yeah, that's really, a good way to put it. Yeah, honestly, like if you're not getting penalized for breaking rules, they aren't rules. They're just guidelines. Yeah, yeah, I can't um, argue that. And yeah, I mean, eye poking is d- easily the worst of them because it's the most likely to result in really permanent long-term damage. Right. And, and um. So yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm no nobody out there really w- with any sense. I think other than referees feel like you shouldn't start taking more points away. I once talked to uh, John McCarthy about this for a while, and. The biggest point he made about it, and I get it, but I think it's also one of those things of the, the problem with, you know, referees are often very close to the sport, which they have to be, but they are, you know, they, they get to know all, who all these fighters are. Mm-hmm. They get to feel um, a bit, maybe a bit paternalistic, maybe, right, right. but more than that too i think they just have a very heavy desire to not uh, to not feel like they've affected a fight yeah yeah as the referee mhm and so you know i was talking to uh john about this and he's just like you know if somebody doesn't if somebody brushes somebody's eye with their finger 
and I, it didn't feel like something. It doesn't feel like it's something intentional. I don't, and I, I can see that there's no long-term damage there to the other fighter. I don't want to insert myself into the fight the rest of the way, and like I, I don't want to be. I don't want to become a part of the outcome of this fight. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see and that stance. I get the stance. It's right. just, it's unfortunately, it's a stance. Like I say, it makes most rules become guidelines. Like. Exactly. There, there are rules on the MMA books. Like we've never. I don't think there has literally ever. I'm sure somewhere in some regional promotion, but I would love to find have somebody find the actual fight to prove me wrong. I don't think a point has ever been taken for spiking in the history of MMA. Uh, Anywhere was it the Cote uh, Belcher? Was there something like that on that one or no? That he, it, he, didn't get he was a point for for at least it, not if it was spiking. Mm, yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think people warning. accused it and they didn't. They didn't call it because I think he took to, went floated to the back and got a finish after that. And yeah, yeah. yeah no, no. You're right. You're right. There's yeah. literally like just never, never in the UFC, never in Pride, never in Strike Force, never in the <laughs> WEC. Garasap, Jesus Christ. Has a point been taken for spiking? Yeah, no. That that's very true. And which point, like, why do you even have this rule? <laughs> it is the most pointless rule in the world. No. But um, anyway, that gets well beyond it. And uh, but it does, the nature of fouls does bring me to my number one. Okay, real quick, real quick, real quick. Sorry, sorry, real quick. I was just going to finish that note by saying uh, the the irony of it was that at, after the point gets taken, Poirier catches Gaethje, and it's mm-hmm. at the end of the round, so you can cut, totally understand a ref just letting letting the bell kind of carry through there. But at the same time, because you know uh, Dustin was getting so. Uh, already defensive uh, because Gaethje was getting so angry. They brought in a doctor and he's like, bro, I'm not a bitch. And, you know, there was all that pre-existing yeah. history with, with Dustin. And, and then the ref with his, his natural inc- inclination to overcorrect the steering wheel. They immediately mm-hmm. both go toward Gaethje in a naturing fashion. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, my bad. And you, you, I don't know if you catch on the mics, but Gaethje goes, nah, you all just suck dick. That's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's it perfectly epitomizes Gaethje if you especially if you ever interviewed him as well as his fight style. It's like nah, y'all just suck dick. That's what it is. <laughs> That's a very Justin Gaethje answer to put it kindly. Yeah, so that was the only note I wanted to say. Sorry to side partly that. No, is you no, will, sir. no. That's a good note to. <laughs> it's a good note to to twist away from. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um. So yeah, my number one pick then. And this is mostly an atmosphere fight, but it's also just actually a really cool, fun fight. It's Dustin Poirier versus Eddie Alvarez, too. All right. Wow. I didn't, all right. I didn't see that one. There we go. Because, I mean, A, you, a, you had a ton of really great buildup for it with the whole controversy of their first fight mm-hmm. that ends on an Eddie Alvarez foul. Where it feels like he could have finished Gagey, or it could have finished Poirier rather, but fouled him and overcorrected, or and got DQ'd rather. And then you come out in the second fight, and Dustin Poirier is piecing up Eddie Alvarez. He looks great. He's looking sharp. Eddie Alvarez starts to turn the tables a little, takes mm-hmm. him down. He's roughing him up, hits that illegal elbow. Yeah, and there the you know the fight <laughs> oh, just switches man. and. Poirier just pours it on him and finishes him. And it's just that perfect, like, it's just such a perfect story fight. Yeah. 
because it has all the elements. It's you know, it's a high level technical battle. You got some moment. You got a big couple of major momentum swings in it. Where when Eddie Alvarez takes that, you know, Poirier down with with hindsight, now we know that Eddie Alvarez was probably tired as fuck at that point and just had absolutely nothing left and would have and Poirier would have finished him the moment Alvarez let him up. But at the moment, you're just like, is Dustin Poirier about to lose this fight? Yeah, he was absolutely winning, and now like Eddie Alvarez is on top. He's dropping shots. Are we gonna get like? Another classic Eddie Alvarez comeback. Right, yeah. And then he lands that fucking illegal elbow. Oh, Jesus. That replay was so damning, wasn't it? This is the most damning replay after. The angle and everything. And it just... (laughs) Like, that, to me, it's, you know, like you were just saying from your co-hosts, great fights have controversy. That's right, that's right. And this you think You think of the, just the... The absolute, you know, like, oh, my fuck. You can still remember that moment. Just like, oh, my fucking God, what are you doing? Yeah. And- sorry, because to your previous point of it, in retrospect, yeah, maybe Alvarez was a little tired getting that takedown or whatnot. Because, and that's what made it so important because people that know yeah. fights and know momentum. It was one of those moments where, like, oh, if Dustin stuffs this – uh, Ed, you know, Eddie's in trouble, or Eddie's out of the fight at least. Maybe not in trouble, but he's 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 significantly out of the fight. But if Eddie can secure this and mount some momentum, it felt like one of those hinge points of a fight. Yep. So just it was an extra. Oh fuck! Back to your tardy interrupt you, but back to your point. That's why it felt and, like so crippling. Like oh that yeah. Hurt. And then it immediately just immediately turns into Poirier pouring it on and finishing him. You know, it's not even like oh, and then two rounds later. That cost him. This is like, no, that is the linchpin of that fight. And the poeticness of the controversy, because it's not just controversy, it's a similar controversy if you go back to their first yep. fight. Except this time, you're allowed to see it through, which is great. Exactly. But that also parlays with the previous point you made of why maybe you picked Gaethje against Poirier was because we weren't sure, which I don't blame you. I wasn't sure either. I picked Poirier, but even I wasn't sure, obviously. No one was. We, you know, how he would react to that. And then it's kind of appropriate we close out with these two fights, Zane, because not only are they good fights, but, you know, for Dustin Poirier's perspective, these are two fights where he shows to, to beat his own stereotypes, his own yeah. critics, which, was, yeah, which is really important. Yeah, he's a fighter important. that was known for just not really seeming like he had the heart to gut it through when fights, went, when fights got hard. Like that first Alvarez fight, it really felt... Like it just it, it felt like even though even though Alvarez got himself DQ'd, it felt like indicative of exactly the fighter that Poirier was always going to be, which was somebody who had a lot of success when he was having it all his own way. But if you turned it around, if you hurt him, he froze up. He started to go away, and things started to just fall apart in a hurry for him. He mostly would be he he would start to brawl and just forget his defense and start getting lit up. Yeah, I mean, and even Connor pointed out that you didn't even have to let the fight go that long. You could just taunt him beforehand to get him riled up, and yeah, people started accusing that of being a mental weakness as well. Exactly. So these two fights for Poirier, they both really showed that by becoming a much more technical, more patient more practiced fighter, which Poirier clearly has. His boxing has just sharpened up by leaps and bounds. Just that extra layer of technical ability has given him 
the confidence to ride out bad f- parts of fights. You know? Definitely. Definitely. And back and, to... I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, the Poirier-Alvarez fight, like, I thought... The more I thought about it, it's just, like, this is the ultimate... Uh, on all of Fox, this is the ultimate, I think, op, like, the ultimate meeting of poetic narrative and high-level action. You know? I'll definitely take that, man. Uh, uh, narrative closes out the story. If anybody was kind of getting pushed from this era, Fox was Dustin Poirier. Obviously, Nate Diaz is a guy who... Um, I don't want to say made his money on Fox because he had some of his shocking lower paydays. And you look at like Dos Anjos and other fights. Mm-hmm. But as far as, you know, getting him to that platform, like uh, Nate Diaz versus Jim Miller was one that uh, yep. came to my mind first. Didn't make the list, but just more of a soft spot in my heart. And that was, our, yeah. you know, again, UFC on Fox 3, we start introducing the lightweights at that point, right? Uh, mm-hmm. back, back to that note. And, and, uh, and a part of uh, Nate Diaz's most impressive run that would, you know, later earn him a title shot. Yeah. No, you know, there are some other good fights on there. There are some other fights I left off. Things like, uh, you know, Knight Caceres or uh, even fights like Whitaker Souza and. Um, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that one almost made my list. Uh, while you're while you're pulling some up, uh, mind if I shoot some listener lists out there? Sure. All right. Nicholas Dowley on Twitter at the fight sleuth. No particular order. Uh, Diaz Johnson, uh, yeah. which is probably the more memorable one since with the, the the post-fight speech, I think, more memorable than the fight. Yep, yeah. Uh, Brown versus Mean, he's with you on that one. Poye Gaethje, he's with me on this one. Ah, I like that people got got uh, he got clever and went with some of the prelim uh, ones, which, which you did yourself, Zane, but he went with uh, Smith Aldana, which I want to say made my top five female fights. I uh, may have made that list. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Elliot, uh, Tim Elliott versus Luis Smoka. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, All good fun fights. Another one I was thinking of, ahead, too, uh, almost added, was Weidman Gastelum, honestly. Yeah, I had that one written down. That, that was a good fight. Yeah, it really was. It had its own narrative, too. He actually yeah. won in New York, goddammit, which is more impressive now, even. Yeah, it, it was an important fight. It was a meaningful fight. It had a, a couple of huge momentum swings in it. Just also, like, the, the the narrative of the momentum swing very much just felt like Gastelum didn't really feel, like, he just wasn't concerned enough about Weidman grappling him. Yeah. No, yeah, it was. I, it was one of those ones where I just felt dumb. I, it's like, again, it's like, it, it, it oftentimes means nothing, obviously. There's no numbers. There's no statistics uh, to represent these things for picks. But it was one of those where it was like, when I did my analysis, reach and I, I try to like to think that mine's ninety percent analysis on what I come up with, and how matchup style stylistically, right? How I base a bulk of my analysis. At least yeah. I like to think. And when I did it for this one, I was like, man, I'm actually coming up with Weidman winning this fight, particularly because as somebody who's very familiar with the turtle, I'm like, man, uh, this, he's the one guy you don't want a turtle against because Weidman's got a good, such good front headlock series and can transition and ride from there. And uh, just do head and arm stuff that that's really uh, that could be really damning. And I just went against what you know. And even if I even when I went back to read my breakdown, I'm like, I kind of laid it out there. Why the hell did I pick Gastelum? But but yeah, sure enough, uh, he survived that 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 close scare in the, the the first round and 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 got that fight. Yeah, I, I uh, my analysis was very much Gastelum is very hittable. He's also very willing to give up positions in the clinch and in takedowns. 
Uh, and but he's tougher. That was mostly my thing. <laughs> what was that? He's tougher, and I had more faith in his gas tank over, yeah, like into too. the later end and end of the fight, into like yes. the fourth and fifth round. Yeah, I'm with you there. By the way, Mike Knoll uh, on Twitter at Mike Knoll one. He has Benson Henderson versus Gil Melendez. I'm sure it was a better fight than what I give it credit for, but I don't know about you, Zane. I always remember that fight as like, ah, oh, I think Gil won that. <laughs> yeah, like, not, not, not a robbery, it, by the it, way, but that's just my that's just my memory. I just remember watching it at the time. It's hard to remember. I, I did actually rewatch it. Um, okay, and I think uh, Henderson outlanded Gil, but mostly it's just all all of Henderson's title fights almost all of them have this sense of like, did Henderson actually win that fight? Yeah. Exactly. And it's mostly because he was so good at no selling what his opponent was doing. Yep. Guys exactly. land strikes on him and he'd just be like, mm-hmm. you know, brushes, brush his shoulder a little or flip his hair back. Yep. Stuff like that. Just lean a little way, a little look unconcerned. And it just never looked like anything anybody hit him with was hurting him. And it judges bought that narrative. Every time. Yep. No, exactly. You put it really well. This is one I'm surprised that it didn't end up on either of our lists. His number two is uh, Junior Dos Santos, Stipe Miocic. I, I, briefly yeah, touched I mentioned on that. that. That's yeah. a good. It's, it, to me, it felt a lot like Vera versus uh, Ruhua, where it's just like it's a good, tough back and forth fight between big dudes, and it deserves some good credit for that. It's a fun fight. And it had a lot of narrative meaning to it. It was, you know, it, it probably deserves a better spot. But it just also, I don't know, doesn't have quite the action of some of the smaller, faster guys. Yeah, of, of course it doesn't. But it is kind of odd, kind of, to, again, the previous note of it's It's one of the better offerings, though, uh, from heavyweight, if we're, you know, sub, oh, yeah. subsectioning it off that way. If you were to offer, a, offer what's, some of, uh, what's some of the better offerings of heavyweight MMA? I'm sure this would probably be on the... Uh, on the on the, on the uh, charcuterie plate. Yeah, like I say, it's just not, it's not a fight like Hunt versus uh, Bigfoot or something like that. Where yes, I'm just, oh, yeah. You uh, know, oh my god, out of my mind, this is great. Exactly. He has a uh, Jim Miller, Joe Lowe's on there. Uh, I it didn't say which one, so either he made the same same mistake or he he just it, really likes the second one, which is fine. The second fight's a good fight. It you is. Know? It is. Uh, ben Rothwell versus Josh Barnett. This was definitely a shocking one. Just with the way the, the finish of the, the guillotine choke. Yeah, um, that that is really – that's a good pick just on the singular moment of it. It's the first submission loss of Barnett's career, and it's just a surprise. Yep. He has uh, also in the finish off his list of number five, Nate Diaz versus Michael Johnson. Uh, again, that one's popular on people's lists, and, and which is funny, and not 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 shitting on it. But it was it was a good fight, but uh, I, I just feel like it was more stronger for the, um, the post-fight speech, eh? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it – it kind of feels like a typical Nate Diaz decision. Like his opponent comes out strong and is fighting well, and then Diaz just sucks him into a an accelerated brawl or accelerated cardio boxing match, and his opponent can't match it. Yep, yep. Uh, just I'm just gonna finish off the listener list here. Uh, the combat chat there, combat chatters, MMA junkie, junkie nation, John John Rico, listener of the show says. Dustin Poirier versus uh, D- Justin Gaethje is with me on that one. Alan Belcher versus Paul Jarez. Hey, we got the same list so far. 
Oh, yeah. Jim Miller, Joe Lowe's on. See, he's, he, this one's coming up all over the place. So you're you're not alone there. Uh, either way, yeah. you're not wrong there. Joe, Joe Lowe's on versus Jamie Varner. He doubled up with you as well. Well, you got both of our lists, John, John, Rico. And then his, the one that, that, that ends his list. I'm glad he mentioned this one. This was a fun fight. Uh, Edson Barbosa versus Paul Felder, which in retrospect, I mean, who else are you going to see be able to slug it out with Barbosa that long? It usually doesn't go very well. Yeah, no, that was actually like the rare distance pot shot fight with Edson Barboza where Barboza won without absolutely dominating and didn't but and and didn't dominate or and like didn't uh the, what stopped him from dominating wasn't getting pushed back, which is usually what it is. Nice. By the way, uh, Ben Hansen comments on um, John John Rico's post and says, I'll never forget Belcher versus Paul Harris. Yelling at the TV for Belcher to quit messing around on the ground with that madman. Was so stoked when he proved me wrong and showed Paul Harris not to mess with anyone who has Johnny Cash tats. But again, kind of proving, adding, adding to my point that I think you know, for a lot of people, like, they just had that emotion where you're just like, ah! <laughs> Yeah, or or in the case, although I have to say in this case, it's more of like the tattoo of a wet paper bag molded into Johnny Cash. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) whenever, you know, uh, most people it's belt size or maybe waistlining and and of course pictures of yourself are are the dead giveaways where like I've gained too much weight, time time to wind this down. For me, somebody who naturally has a big jawline and, and has a proclivity to be jowly as I get older, the, the, if I start getting jowly like that Johnny Cash tattoo, like with the massive chunk jowl that he has attached, <laughs> thanks thanks to his tricep muscle, like oh god, that that's when you know you got to start c- cutting it down, boys. But all right, yeah. last one here, Wanley Tran, um, Dos Santos versus Velasquez one is number one. The main reason to the casual fan to pay attention on national free TV. So he went with meeting for that one. Yeah, justified. Um, I'm glad he put this one. This one actually almost made my list. This came down to the final seven or eight for me, and I, I'm surprised. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, you can weigh on it here. It wasn't on your list, but John Dotson versus Demetrius Johnson won. Uh, he says yeah. arguably Johnson's first real test as champ, and that one I felt momentum swings in that fight. Not as as powerful on watchback, but what did you think, Zane? It, yeah, I mean, I think I think it was when I watched it back. It's it definitely had like Dotson had moments. But then the most of the fight for five rounds, it, it kind of like it fell into the same reason I didn't pick Holloway versus Swanson mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, some of the others on this list where it was just like this is a great comprehensive singular performance from a fighter more than it is a great fight where watching it all the way through in the moment is making me feel like, oh, my God, what a fight. I got you. Even though I did have Swanson and. Cub on my list, obviously. Yeah. I feel what you're saying to the point where I'll also bring up one that made that final eight, but I, yeah. I crossed off for the same reason, was Whitaker versus Ronaldo Souza. Yeah. And that was more just a coming out moment for Whitaker, and then some of these well, fights... Jacare did kind of win that first round. To be fair, he did. Yeah, it was it was more competitive on 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 rewatch on on rewatch for sure. Um, but it kind of had that Max Holloway feel, where like even though Max is getting hit, you're like you're you're looking at the long game, and you're like, well, he's not really hurting him. So is this? Yeah. He, he won the round, but is this more diminishing returns? Like you almost want your guy to win the round because that means you're making him put out the energy you want. And yeah, though that really didn't matter. It was more of a submission defense and shot selection that that arguably won him the fight than 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 a suspect gas tank. Um, but but yeah, yeah, I, I, I took that one off my list for the same reason. 
Uh, anyways, he has a uh, number three. He has Thompson versus Diaz. I think this is the first time the towel was thrown on Fox and first towel since UFC three question mark. Wow. This is when I can't, I, I can't, you know, you're going back to UFC three. That's going to incorporate a lot of UFCs that I'm not, I'm not brushed up on recently. So was that sound any, any ring any bells for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's definitely one of the, I mean, towels getting thrown in are, shockingly rare enough that yeah like i i can't remember it's gonna be you're gonna go back to the early ufc when throwing in the towel was a standard true an acceptable way to stop a fight in mma right in those early days when nobody knew what the fuck they were doing and then in the time since like i'm sure it's the only one that was ever on fox and you know, I like the only corner stoppages I can think of since are the Nate Marquardt's corner, and uh, I would just had one. Uh, Duke um, Rufus, Anthony Pettis. Duke Rufus, Anthony Pettis, and I think there may have been one more. Oh, uh, just, uh, just, oh uh, go ahead. I was gonna say uh, it was the Peter Yan. Yes. Yep. Douglas De Silva. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say miniature Vitor Belfort. I'm like, wait, no, that was Tiago Tavares when he was on roids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Douglas de Silva de Andrade. <laughs> yep. He had the multi, the multi-personality haircut there. Yeah. Um, finishing off one of these lists was Poirier versus Gaethje, violence and action. And I like that he put this one on. This was a fun fight, but, but just uh, too recent, uh, too forgettable, uh, unfortunately. But Dober versus Camacho. This was fun, except for yeah. that 30-27 made no my, sense. It was on my list of of selections just because I, I'm a huge Frank Frank uh, Frank the Crank fan. But it, it's just not a meaningful enough fight. Yep, yep. I, I hear you there. All right. Uh, any 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 last uh, – just to clean up this list, that was last listener submissions. Anything that, that they left off slash we left off that you at least just wanted to give a give a quick mention before we get out of here on? Uh, I guess, you know, the, the ending was pretty controversial, but there's also Emmett Stevens. Yeah, that was a brutal one. Holy jeez. Worth remembering is a hell of a war. And uh, – Thomas Almeida versus Jimmy Rivera. Yep, yep, that was a good one. Was 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 looking at that one. It didn't make uh, my honorable mentions list, but it was uh, one worth considering. Uh, on the violence note of Emmett Stevens, I wanted to bring up when you talked about Jordan Mean was like that was I li- the reason why I liked the Jordan Mean was because I felt like that was it represents the violence for the violence lover, but being conscious to the public, I feel like <laughs> there, there is a line. And I feel like Jordan Mean versus Matt Brown was going right up to that line for palpable, raw violence. Whereas I felt like a Barbosa hooker would have been too, maybe a bridge too far for me to put that on my list. Not just because of the recency bias, but I I don't know if that's like, you know, if I'm trying to get a mainstream person, a person that watches Big Fox to ingratiate them into my sport, I think I might scare them away if I play them that fight. Yeah, although I got to say, I mean, I I don't think you should ever make these lists in mind with with the idea in mind of what fight am I going to show somebody to get them into MMA. Absolutely. No, no. I I know what you mean. But as far as, I guess, the big fight, Fox on fights, I was like, is this too violent to make the list? It's like the only fight where I had to to ask that. Um, One I wanted to say on Nate Diaz when we were talking about him real quick, I wrote down, it wasn't that great of a fight, but it just, again, just for memory-wise – Nate Diaz versus Benson Henderson because he's frustrated. I don't know if it's like the fourth or fifth round and he goes for a leg lock and 
if I want a Nate Diaz painting, this is what I would want. And it's, you know, Benson Henderson goes into a full split to neutralize it. And Nate Diaz just flips on the bird and goes, fuck you, is his counter. And when you're watching the Fox broadcast, um, you know, uh, you had Nate, a, t- a taste of Nate Diaz once before this, but he didn't really do anything off color. Like, in fact, he was really, really nice in his post-fight yeah. interview because Nate Diaz respects real. Real respect real. So he respected the shit out of Jim Miller. And if you remember, it was really cute. He was bringing Jim Miller on because Dan Miller uh, had to bow out because his, his nephew was going through that awful tra- like sickness. And uh, they were selling shirts to uh, benefit it. And Nate Diaz actually uses his post-fight time, brings Jim Miller on. Just a real motherfucker. Buy his shirts, motherfucker. <laughs> trying to give him a promo. It was, the, it was mm-hmm. the cutest thing. But then you get the opposite Nate Diaz where we get the Nate Diaz we know where he flips in the bird. And I remember hard, you know, hardcore flipping out all over because we were watching on Fox. And Fox had to black out their broadcast for Nate Diaz. And that almost was like a victory. Everybody's like, yeah, clapping. <laughs> I think I was actually in. I think I was in the audience for that one. Wow! Really? Okay. Yeah. Where was that fight? Seattle. See, okay, that makes sense then. It was in your backyard. Yeah, UFC on Fox Five. Holy shit! Anyways, I I had to bring that down. Anthony Pettis versus Donald Cerrone. It was a quick one, but you know, a classic matchup, a classic finish. Yeah, there there were some. Donald Cerrone was on the. He he had a he had a couple like he. Unfortunately, Cerrone getting shit kicked was kind of three of these that yeah, right? didn't quite make it. There's Cerrone versus RDA, Cerrone <laughs> versus Pettis, and Cerrone versus Masvidal. Shit, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He that that he Fox was not too kind, not too kind to him. Um, I will argue. Demetrius Johnson versus John Moraga. Maybe it was just my memory of it, but that was a, a pretty fun DJ fight because that, even if it was maybe ultimately one moment of a scare, there was that scare of that counter right hand that just smashes DJ's nose for a second and shoots him back. And mm-hmm. I was watching with my stepdad, who was a very casual fan, and it was just cool to see like someone very casual and you're you're having him exposed to, to flyweight for all its stereotypes and criticisms. And uh, my stepdad was like, oh, my God, I can't believe how blazing fast this guy was. Of yeah. course, talking about Muddy Mouse. And then after that fight, but hey, is that, is that Mouse guy fighting? And, you know, it, you know it, I, so obviously my bias of own personal sample size there. But I would like to think um, that that was one of those fights that, you know, maybe started at least, you know, peaking, peaking people on to who Mighty Mouse was. Yeah, not enough of them. Not enough of them, unfortunately. Yeah, again. But uh, – it was a, a a very fun fight. He gets the fun armbar off his back. Uh, n- another one I wanted to mention here. I love these kind of fights. Um, Jim Miller, re- on a more lower key, recently had this moment against uh, Alex White. Uh, but it mm. reminded me of Uriah Faber versus Michael McDonald when you know they're they're using the old guy. It feels like to put over the new yeah. guy. And the fucking young, not just wins, but the young, the older lion shows the young lion who who the lion is kind of a fight. And I, I love those. And it's a very similar fight and finish to that Alex White, Jim Miller one of more recent time. Yep, definitely a good one. Um, and all I have, yeah, I, put, I think I put Brian Barberina versus Sage Northcutt on there for, 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 for shits and giggles. Uh, home versus Shevchenko was a fun one. Those are more personal biases for me, yeah. uh, but, uh, but different reasons. Hey, Anthony Pettis versus Charles Oliveira. That was a, a yeah, that was a fun fight. A lot of grappling, shockingly, in that one. And better in retrospect, when you look at Oliveira still pumping strong and breaking submission records, and you know, uh, yeah. Anthony Pettis, one of the one of the few guys to submit him, along with uh, you know Miller and and Lamas. Yep. 
Um, that's about it. Uh, the only other two I had written was Alan Joe Band, just a minor sh- uh, shout for his fight with uh, Ben Saunders at UFC on Fox 28. And uh-huh. uh, although I, I'm with you on Matt Brown versus Jordan Mean, Matt Brown versus Lob- Robbie Lawler was a five, five, a fun five-rounder. Yeah, that was a fun one, too. That was also one of those... Like I rewatched it, and it's really just a momentum fight, though. Like, Brown is hanging in that fight yeah, for the it first is, round. Yeah, it is, yeah. But it's really Robbie Lawler controlling him and beating him up all the way through. Yeah, when I did my welterweight wars research, this one fell like way shorter than what I remembered it. Um, so yeah, no, I, I yeah, it, I, I completely agree with you on these notes. Uh, before we get out of here, Zane, do you mind if I pay off just a couple of listener uh, tweets that I wasn't able to on my last episode? I'm gonna selfishly sure. insert it here. Uh, we just did our our neckies our awards, uh, and uh, listener to the show Jujitsu had his had his list. Uh, and just, just a couple, just a couple more, uh, I'm probably only to do three here, but, uh, jujitsu's list was a uh, sub. He had Aoki versus, uh, y- Yakaev. I, I didn't see that one. Uh, Zane, did you, did you see that one over at one FC? I believe. Uh, well, sorry. Uh, a- what was it? A- a- Aoki versus, uh, Yakaev. Uh, uh, I think I saw the highlights. I didn't actually watch the fight live. It's like, you know. It's like three in the morning where I live. Yeah, no, no same, Sam. I'm not too far from you, so I, I missed that one too. Um, KO, he had Ortega versus Edgar. Can't argue with that. I was there for that one and just blown away. Um, round, Santos versus Manawa. That, that's what I, I ended up giving my round of the year for. By the way, Zane, who did you who did you have your sub KO in round? As, as a, so this isn't completely selfish, and, and I'm honestly curious. Of 2018? Yeah, yeah. I'm not I putting you on the spot by, by asking what years it were, but... You you really are because okay. I really didn't do any. Oh, you didn't do any oh, picking. I mean, I my KO would have to just be Yaya Rodriguez. That yeah. I don't really see any other option yeah, for that. Hard, hard to argue. Uh, over Chan Sung Jung and KO or sub. Um, oh man, yeah, no sub and round. You just it's I gotta tough. take a yeah, pass. Like, tough, I'd, I'd, I'd have to think. Too hard about it too long and there's too much dead air don't even worry about it i'm just gonna finish up these lists real quick then uh fight his fight of the year drews was whitaker versus yoel that, that that was mine as well which you could go with different things for that understandably uh come back fedor and then uh coach javi mendez breakthrough fighter style bender fighter of the year dc uh i went hipster i went sean o'connell for my fighter of the year <laughs> But a heartbreak, Kid Yamamoto passing with you there. That Jesus, there's a rise in the last two. I've like, gotten teary-eyed every time. Um, feel-good moment, Sean O'Connell. That's your feel-good. Uh, no diss there. We also wanted to give a shout-out to uh, Matt at Dixon underscore Mathis on Twitter. His heartbreak, Joan. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was pretty. All right. He, uh, his sub, Paul Craig, triangles Ankoliev. It was just a triangle, but he was taking an ass-whooping for like 14 minutes and 55. I'm with you there. Of course, uh, John John Rico, who we mentioned before, he also weighed in on this. Uh, he had a Machida Belfort for his KO of the year. That was like right out of a Kira Kurosawa film. So I, I don't I don't disagree with that. And uh, he had Zabit Aljo for his double submission. Also, shout out to Tim Kelly, style breaker for style bender for his uh, breakthrough fight of the year and, and breakthrough non fighter, which was an interesting category. He had Big John McCarthy. I thought that was an interesting choice, but, but shouts to him. Those are the, the listeners I wanted to just make up for real quick. All right, all that's out of the way. Just, just gonna get out of here uh, now. Zane, thank you for joining me for the show, man. This was, this was really fun. Another fun crackdown memory lane, and we'll definitely, definitely get you. I'm holding you. Hold me to the word. We'll, we'll get you back on sooner than later, man. Uh, 
for, for yeah, this no problem at all. Thanks for I'm I'm glad to be on again. Awesome, man. Good to hear. Anything you want to plug? Where can they find you? Anything you got coming up? Go ahead, plug. At least plug where you can fi- fi- find your shows. And, and yeah, no, wh- nothing, wh- nothing specific coming up. But obviously, you know, we're always doing our shows week in, week out. I'll have the MMA vivisection going up again for UFC on ESPN Plus One, EFC, or just as I call it, UFC Brooklyn, uh, uh, Cejudo versus Dillashaw. And we'll have a six-round post-fight show for that, too. Uh, I got the MMA Depressed Us just came out today. We did a, a rundown of, well, I don't know when this will go up for you, but got the MMA Depressed Us, too. Did, most recently just did a rundown of our favorite short bad fights that we've kind of been passing over. So that's, you know, Fry Takayama, Mir Duffy, and Jukawani Horodeki, or Horodeski, uh, Brooks awesome. Torres. Some of those fantastic awesome. Moments in combat sports history. Brooks Torres. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. Shouts there. Um, and, uh, oh, go ahead. So we're doing all that. You can find me on Twitter at Zane Simon. You can find me over on bloodyelbow.com day in, day out, writing, doing articles, all that good stuff. And then, uh, find our shows on Bloody Elbow Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, and iTunes. Like them, find them, subscribe them, all that good stuff. Awesome, man. Awesome. And uh, just a reminder, you can hit our banners at Amazon, Onnit Shoppers, any of those, our banners at MixedMartialAnalyst.com where you can find smartphone-friendly players. And yes, I promise, this is going to be the year where we get on other platforms like Stitcher and SoundCloud, which I already have accounts for. I just got to upload and connect my library and feed there. It is coming, folks, but... The five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes, the primary home where you can get this, and the smartphone-friendly players at MixedMartialAnimals.com. Thank you for supporting, clicking through all of those, and supporting the people who come on this show, because uh, that means a lot to me, because I'm also a fan of their work. Otherwise, I would not uh, have them on the show. So thank you, Zane, one last time. And for the rest of the listeners, this will be out shortly, so keep to it. The MMA schedule will be relentless as ever. It will be starting soon, so relax. And always protect your neck.